Hi, this is Martin Clancy, and you're listening to Your Morning Coffee podcast with Jay Gilbert and Mike Eckhart. Weekly music news for the new music business. For music business worldwide, 50% of vinyl buyers in the U.S. don't own a record player data shows? <laughs> from various sources, Spotify's Q1 2023 results are in, plus a message from its founder on the threat and opportunity from artificial intelligence. And for music business worldwide, the algorithm is your new boss. Same as the old boss? I don't know. Well, it's episode 142, and Jay and I are here. We're glad you're here, too, and we're going to start the show right about now. Stand by for transmission. This is London Calling. Wake up! The revolution is at hand! Your morning coffee is on the air. Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news for the new music business. It's the highly curated, agitated, advocated, moderated, and liberated digital music information that you need to know. We are your digital music authority. And now from our studios in Hollywood, California, here's your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. The party's over You calling me because you're lonely You telling me you wanna hold me You miss me lying on your shoulder And I want it to be true Cause when you say believe me I do Cause when we're close it's easy Guess I still need you to need me I still got that little scar On the back of my thigh When we snuck out that night Got each other so high I still got your shirt And it smells like you Takes me back to your Jay, good to see you. You are a scant 42 miles away from me, but you're looking good this morning. Thank you, brother. Saturday good to morning. see you. And we are on episode 142. It is hard to believe we are kind of coming up on our third year anniversary. Wow. Which is Shocking. That's gone by fast. Another couple months, I guess. It has gone by fast. Yeah. It was the before times. When, or it wasn't the before times. It was the pandemic times when we started. Yeah. yeah. Which is hard to believe. That we've we, had a we, lot we of fun. Then and, yeah, doing this. And, and as you and I were talking before we hit record, we've got some special uh, treats coming up for our audience. Some really interesting uh, music business executives who have agreed to have special episodes with us. And we have three of them planned. Mm -hmm. and we're not going to spoil the surprise quite yet, but um, I'm really excited for these conversations and these special episodes. And we'll probably drop them in between our regular episodes so, so they'll show up in your feed. But uh, stay tuned for that. 
Yeah. Well, and, and there are certain topics and certain individuals that are worthy of doing an extended piece on that, that you know, we can't just, it, it, they have far more to say than a, yeah. a few minutes of an audio drop. So yeah. that's, and that's for us, that is so fun. It would, when we get a chance to really have sort of an in-depth conversation, it's, yeah. it's gas. It's one of it's, the reasons that we kind of, yeah. that was always on our, on our list of things to do when we, when we came up with the idea of doing this podcast. Yeah. So, and we've already I had a couple really of really these. good ones, right? We, you know, we had Mark Mercuriatus, yeah. we had Will Page, we even had Nancy mm-hmm. Wilson, uh, from Heart. Um, by the way, that music that you just heard uh, coming out of our intro is uh, an amazing song called Need Me by Lorelai Marcel. And I had uh, a chance to see her on uh, uh, Thursday night at the Hotel Cafe. I was there uh, for my client, um, uh, Robin Taylor Zander. Uh, he re- released the album The Distance, his debut album on April 21st. Um, and right before Robin went on, uh, there was Lorelai and she was absolutely amazing. Um, her latest album is bittersweet stages, which is what need me is from, uh, check it out. It's really good. And she's such a great performer. What a funny coincidence. You were already going to be there for Robin Taylor Zander. Then you get invited by somebody else for the Lorelai thing. You're like, wait a minute. Yeah. This is the same night, the same place. Yeah. It was, <laughs> it was really you good. must have known Jay. They must have known. Very fun. Well, it's always fun. I mean, you know, for all the all the talk and stuff we do about, you know, file AI and what's going on in the streaming services, it gets right down to it when you go see live acts, see bands live, artists live. That's coming home, right? That yeah. is that's where the rubber meets the road. And yeah. when you either deliver or you don't, and yeah. it never gets old. I've seen so many great shows at the Hotel Cafe. It's such a great venue. Um, I saw Ben Barnes there a while back. That was phenomenal. I've, I've just over the years, it's been one of my favorite venues. It just feels like home there. Um, and thank you to Martin Clancy for that cool intro. Um, we've talked about Martin a lot, and he's been in the news a lot lately. You can't pick up a story anywhere without uh, a quote from Martin because years ago, he started this book called Artificial Intelligence and the Music Ecosystem. And this is way before it was on most people's radar. And it came out in 2022, I think. Yeah. And uh, so we've talked to Martin a couple of times. I I think the world of this guy, he's so smart. um, And he's just a great music uh, guy. Anyway, um, we had a chance to chat this last week um, about some of the stories that are in the news on artificial intelligence. So um, let's listen into that conversation. Martin, it's so good to see you again. Uh, It was a crazy, crazy week in the news, uh, AI all over the place. You were quoted in so many articles that we covered in your morning coffee and on the podcast. And I just want to go through a couple of them because it, it goes through a couple of different areas in artificial intelligence. And I wanted to kind of get your take on kind of the fake Drake kind of bootleg pirating kind of side of AI, but also some ways that artists are using it in a more creative way. What happened this week in AI? Well, we had the fake Drake. So what's your take on that? Did you, did you listen to it? Did you, what did you think? Yeah, I thought it was really good. Um, A lot of these, the first AI um, renditions of voices, I could kind of tell they weren't the real artist, but some of the ones I've been listening to lately, whether it's Drake or The Weeknd or Eminem, 
for my ears, if you hadn't told me it was AI generated, I wouldn't have known. I think, I think that's a good benchmark. So fake Drake. Okay. So the problem is clearly that this is being used by someone who's not Drake. And we are simply in the situation there of outside of the um, craziness of it, when it settles down, you know, this is somebody passing off somebody else. And that's where we, we get into. It's as simple as that. What's scary about it, I guess, from a legal point of view is, is that what's the difference? And I'll ask you this. What's the difference between uh, a fake Drake stream or CD or T-shirt and a fake Drake voice? Yeah, well, if it's not being put out by the rights holder um, and it's drawing from their name and likeness or their body of work, then there's a problem. And then on the other side, it's this new incredible tool, um, just like any technology throughout the music business. It's the history of the music business is one techn technology after another disrupting the business. So now we have people who are, you know, uh, like Grimes telling her fans to deep fake her music and she'll split the uh, royalties 50-50. You know, you've got people who, artists who want to put their music out in different languages that they don't speak and they're using AI to do that. That's the other side. Let's talk about that for a second. Okay, so let's take the easy, the low-hanging fruit. Uh, let's take the translation. Uh, I think that's a remarkable development um, from, for, for many reasons. If we look at the history of Western music, it was predominantly English was the lingua franca, right? That's changed. So on YouTube since, and I think this is prob this is pretty much correct. I think we've seen since 2014, it started changing. Um, I'm pretty sure that two years ago, only three of the top 10 songs on YouTube were in English. So that's the world's kind of jukebox, if we think of it in that way. Yesterday, I'm thinking aloud here, so apologies to your listeners. Yesterday, India uh, became the world's largest population. Um, and there are many, many dialects within India. So the ability to, to enter new markets, I mean, it also works the other way, you know. Um, China entered the world's top ten, top five uh, markets for recorded music uh, last year. So you, we could, the English-speaking mar English market could be in the export business. Um, I'm talking to you from France, which like Canada, has uh, had a 50% um, ratio for radio play to be in the French language. Um, so this is kind of interesting where you're, that, that, that's a very, that's a, it's a real positive um, development. It can open up new markets, new niches. Yeah. Sorry, I was thinking aloud there. Very impressed by that one. Uh, what do you think of Grimes? What's your take on that? Well, if it's, I haven't checked to see who the rights holder is. Let's just assume she's an independent and she controls her publishing and her masters. I think it's really interesting and it's only going to get her music into more ears if more people are playing with this, but you also lose your quality control. Um, and that could be problematic as well because when people hear it, it's going to sound like her. And it could be, <clears throat> excuse me, it could be maybe lyrics that she wouldn't have uh, said. 
you know, so I, I, the, my fear is that loss of control. Um, but you can't put the genie back in the bottle. And I was having this conversation this last week, uh, with uh, my co-host about, we think that there's a new Napster coming a new illegal site, a pirate bay, something where it's going to be all of these AI created modified things that are drawn from the body of work from an artist, but they don't want to deal with getting clearance for publishing masters, all of those things. But this could be a a new Napster, but it's, (laughs) it's a whole new world. Yeah. I I definitely think there's, there's going to be, uh, an impulse to have some kind of market, not necessarily to monetize uh, the work, but at least to share it and say, "Hey, have you, you know, uh, do you want to have a look at listen to my my fake version of something or other?" But I do think that in the case of Grimes, it is an interesting one. I was th- trying to think. I was thinking about, for instance, co-writes or remixes. So I really release a series of stems, and what would the difference be? Clearly, the difference is. And as far, as far as I understand, by the way, she does her own. She doesn't got a record company at the moment, or so. So, let's, let, for, for the sake of argument, let's say that there's no um, anybody else other than Grimes to have to be involved. Um, I think for her, it's simple in the sense that whatever you do to that track, it kind of fits with what she is. Like she could go, "Hey, wow, that's kind of interesting," uh, and it would it adds to the persona. For other artists, though. You can imagine, like, without going too far into that, we've seen a number of artists who have clearly said they don't want their music played at certain political rallies or at certain events. Um, Clearly, that also applies for syncs, for advertising. You can only imagine, should the lyrics be changed to something that was fundamentally against what that um, artist stood for, um, outside of legal protections that could be crazy um but i like the idea of the positive parts because that's that's the least explored road and when you mentioned the idea you mentioned smile and i think with the beach boys can you tell, can you tell us listeners a bit about that you know yes um there was a fan <clears throat> excuse me who created recreated the entire beach boys uh, smile album using AI. And there's an article in ultimate classic rock where they interview uh, the person who did this. And I listened to a lot of it this morning. And if you hadn't told me that wasn't Brian Wilson and the beach boys doing it, I, I wouldn't have been able to tell the difference, at least not with my ears, maybe a a bigger fan might've been able to tell subtle nuances. And as I joked to you, there was the fan Paul McCartney. I mean, (laughs) <laughs> we we are getting very close to the heart of a lot of the engines of creativity that we've always um, associated as being purely human here. I mean, especially with Smile, the lost album, you know, everybody's struggling to get bootlegs of that um, because it was not available. The album that was burnt by its creator, you know, like, so, and then subsequently released with underneath his curation so i know so many people who the the um the beach boys of are a fundamental to it, their creativity and one of the things that they were often in studios is to try to figure out how those songs were constructed and re-record them so the impulse of the fan that fan could be any one of 50 years of other music idols you know um yeah 
So while we're not necessarily uh, endorsing that, it is important to observe where that fits in historically. You know, it, it's, that's a that's a big one. I think I'd be I think your listeners would be very curious to see what their reaction is on that outside yeah. of the infringement side. If yeah, you know? yeah, one hundred percent. Well. I, I would love to continue this conversation. We could talk all day. I think maybe we should set up just a dedicated episode and, and go through some of these things because I find it so fascinating and I love your take on it. But thank you so much for jumping in and talking to me about this today. And let's continue the conversation. Thank you. Well, it's amazing. And, you know, as, as you were alluding to before, you know, his timing couldn't have been perfect. You know, he was looking know, into right? this stuff <laughs> well before it just, you know, got into the sort of public consciousness where we are now. Yeah. And like you were just saying, too, you know, before we, we hit record, it's it, it the, the the speed with which it has come is really unbelievable. And we're already at the whack-a-mole stage. Yes. I mean, it's yeah. just unreal what what's coming out in terms of music that is... AI-generated. AI-generated. Yeah. yeah. We've seen it with, you know, you and I were talking about the Beach Boys' Smile. Um, it, there mm-hmm. was an AI version that we talked about that's online. We talked about Grimes, the artist Grimes, who's basically saying, look, use AI create music from my body of work just split the royalties with me yes. and then you've got like you mentioned the, the whack-a-mole of the majors um going after well it's not the dsps but they're working with the dsps to you know cease and desist to get these things off yeah. because they're popping up you know every week on the major digital service providers Right. Well, and you were saying that that um, you know you've had a number of conversations with people in the field, and there are tools to identify right. these things. And so I think, you know, it is as all these things uh, are at the beginning. It, it is a bit of the wild west. Yeah. But I, I'm sure once once these tools are put into effect, and and maybe you won't be able to upload them so quickly or so easily. Yeah. And, but it, it really is, and there's a lot of these kind of converging technologies that are making this easy to do yeah and yeah and is that and and you know i i think it's worthwhile to share your prediction again so i'm gonna i'm gonna let you do okay that. So go ahead well, and say we, we talked about last week. a couple of things one is i have this prediction that there's going to be a new napster which will have all of this ai uh, generated um, material on it um because it's not going to be able to be placed on the uh, legit major uh, dsps i think that the systems that we're talking about, the software out there, um, will be like content ID with YouTube or, mm-hmm. you know, maybe even like Shazam. Like maybe you have a Shazam app where you're listening to a song and you hit this app and it says, oh, that's, you know, derivative. It's been, uh, they use generative AI for that. But I think the DSPs are going to have to move fast to have some sort of content ID type of platform software to identify and lock down this stuff. Otherwise it's going to get crazy really fast. I mean, it already is. Um, and it's mm-hmm. so much of the news today. Every time you and I talk, it's like, wow, did you hear about that fake Drake? Did you hear about this? Did you hear about yes. that? It's crazy. Yes. Well, but, and is it a long term like kind of like you were saying, is this a business opportunity for the songwriters, for the, the, the folks that own, you know, given tracks that that something you license at some point, very very much like sampling is. Yeah. Um, and then I was, you know, we were talking on uh, before again before we hit record, and I was sort of thinking, you know, what about the heirs of deceased artists? 
you know, is that a licensing opportunity for them? You know, can I go to the, the heirs of Vincent Price and, and license a sound alike with Vincent Price or, or anything? And it is, you know, the, the more you kind of look into, you know, open the, open the door and kind of look inside and you start thinking about all these potential opportunities. It's, it's mind boggling. Yeah. It's and in our second story, well, our second story is really an amalgamation of like five different stories that were in your morning coffee. And we part, we pulled bits and pieces out of each. Um, there's kind of the positive side of AI and then the negative side of AI. And we're going to get into that. Um, but before we do, um, our first story I thought was really interesting, and it's something we touch on quite a bit, and it's based on a Luminate report that came out that shows that 50%, <laughs> half of vinyl buyers in the U.S. don't own a record player. And I always kind of wondered, like, well, what are they doing with that? You know, are people buying it, you know, to put up on their wall? Are they getting it signed at the merch table? You know, because premium vinyl is expensive. Um, I just paid a hundred dollars for one double vinyl piece because it was limited to a hundred came with a poster and a whole bunch of other things. It's on orange vinyl. It's beautiful, right? I'm not hanging that on my wall. Um, right. but let's, let's dive into this. Cause this is from music business worldwide mm -hmm. and they kick it off by saying that according to data recently released by the recording industry association of America, that's the RIAA annual vinyl sales exceeded CD sales in the US last year for the first time since 1987, okay? Consumers bought 41.3 million vinyl records in the US in 2022 compared to 33.4 million compact discs. So that's that's quite a bit more. And I would imagine Record Store Day has a lot to do with some of these numbers. Um, oh, that wasn't sure. just due to the popularity of vinyl. It also has a lot to do with the declining popularity of CDs as well, right? Right, right. So, of course, revenues, as we, I think, talked about already, uh, from vinyl jumped 17.2% year over year to $1.2 billion back in last year in 2022, mm. while revenues from CDs fell 17.6% to $483 million. So, indeed, vinyl now generates more than double the annual cash that CDs <laughs> do in the States here. Uh, this may not come as a surprise. After all, CDs have been a dying technology for decades, first thanks to the iPod and downloadable music files, and now thanks to streaming services like Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, which in 2022 accounted for 84% of recorded music revenues in the U.S. Meanwhile, vinyl, it's its old school. It's cool. You know, it's its propelled by the first, firstly, by the staying power of, you know, um, the format among nightclub DJs. And now it's even popular amongst those who don't jam to house and techno, right? Uh, new research from sales data company Luminate, used to be SoundScan, MRC. Um, recent data says that they're, they're shedding new light on what actually happens to this vinyl after it's been purchased. So in the company's recent top entertainment trends for 2023 report, which you and I talked about, Luminate found that 50% of consumers who have bought vinyl in the past 12 months own a record player compared to 15% among music listeners overall. Naturally, this means that 50% of vinyl buyers don't own a record player. <laughs> God. So what exactly is going on here? This isn't the first time market researchers have noticed a distinct disconnect between vinyl purchases 
and turntable ownership, something you would think would be hand in hand. 100 percent. Yeah. In a 2016 survey, ICM found that 41 percent of vinyl bone, uh, excuse me, 41 percent of vinyl buyers own a turntable but don't use it, while another 7 percent said they don't own a turntable at all. So vinyl records are Mm. decorations, a new version (laughs) of a wall poster. Yeah, but it's more than that. For many vinyl buyers, it's as much about seeing and touching the music they like as much as it is about listening. That is a really good point because I still buy vinyl and I listen to streaming and I still have a whole bunch mm-hmm. of downloads you know, that I've had over the years. Yeah, right. And I think that's, that's a really good way to put it. In 2016, in a response to the ICM poll, the BBC went to a UK record store and found a customer who bought vinyl but didn't own a record player. And, quote, I just collect them to put them on my wall. I think it looks great. And that was a student, uh, Jordan Katende, he, he told the BBC. He also added, I literally do it based on how it looks or if I like, you know, uh, the way it feels. I, I have a connection with the artist. If I think it'll look good on my wall, so be it. So there's also the gifting market to consider, of course, people buying vinyl not for themselves but for other people. Um, and, you know, that that gifting thing could be very important as well. Sure. Perhaps the most discussed driver behind the vinyl's rise in music business circles, though, is the so-called superfan. In a 2020 interview with the Times of London, Rob Crutchley of the UK music trade industry group BPI said superfans were powering a buy-to-own rather than buy-to-listen trend. Mm. He said a proportion of people are buying vinyl because they're a super fan. So even if they don't usually have a turntable, they're still keen to support the artist and have the artifact itself. <laughs> the artifact. <laughs> he said sometimes it's going to be because they have their catalog titles that are being re-released in a new edition, maybe a run on a different colored vinyl. Other times it might be a new title that has limited press on a certain format. In uh, its I'm sorry, I was stepping on your on you there. That's all right. No, that's fine. You know, it makes perfect sense that, you know, if you're going to pay that much money for premium vinyl or even used vinyl, you're a fan. You're already listening to that music, right? Luminate exactly. define you just talked about super fans. Luminate defines super fans as music listeners who spend above average uh, time and money on music. You know, and they actively discover new music. So they participate in music related activities on social media and they plan on attending a live music event in the next 12 months. So there are three core behaviors uh, that set super fans apart from others, according to Luminate. First, they engage in social signaling, meaning they they want people around them to know about their passion for a particular genre or artist. So that's social signaling. Secondly, they view music as an expression of their identity. Thirdly, they engage in a community centered around music. Check, check, check. I resemble all of those yes, remarks. Sir. All of which suggests that the music industry could make serious money off of superfans' love for vinyl in the coming years, regardless of whether or not they end up playing the format on a turntable at all, which is just, I mean, it's not, and maybe this behavior was going on in the original days of vinyl. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't think so, I but it's certainly think possible. So. It wasn't for me. Know. You know, I just bought that, that, um, that U2 set, 
you know, because you and I talked mm-hmm. about the Bono book and at each mm-hmm. chapter, you know, there's a little acoustic version of a U2 song. And we were saying, you know, months ago, gosh, wouldn't that be cool if that came out? And sure enough, it's the new U2 album. And I've been listening to that and it comes on clear vinyl. And, oh. and you know, this as well as anyone, it's just a different experience when you're streaming something. Okay. It'll just keep playing and that's great. And you can do it while you work or in your car, working out, making dinner, whatever. But when you're putting on vinyl, man, it's just like the old days. You've got to be present because you got to flip that side in 15 minutes and you're reading the liner notes and you're looking at the lyrics or the imagery. And it's, I hate to make it sound so romantic, but for me, it kind of is, you know, um, it's a different experience. Well, and it, it is passive versus active listening, you know, or active versus passive, passive. You know, it's, it's certainly, you are much more intentional when you're sitting down with vinyl to, to listen to, you know, whatever you're going to listen to. And that's just the difference. And it, it's, it, it, if you grew up with it, then it's a return to that behavior. Yeah. If you didn't, it's engaging you in a behavior you didn't grow up with, yeah. which is also very cool. By the way, at episode 142, oh, Jay and go. I have been doing here this show for a long time. We got to thank the good folks <laughs> oh that God. bring us to the party every week. <laughs> what do you say, Jay? Let's, let's, uh, let's do it. You know, we almost um, forgot like the last few weeks. And, and I think a lot of it is we just get so excited and we always talk before we hit record. So we get so yes. excited about um, the show and, and all the news and um Anyway, so yeah, thank you for reminding me. You know, let's let's thank Hypebot since 2004. Hypebot has chronicled the new music industry, the trends and technologies that are changing how music is discovered, consumed, marketed, and monetized. Edited daily by founder Bruce Houghton with help from Alana Bonilla, Hypebot and sister blog Music Think Tank are published by live music discovery and marketing platform Bands in Town. Indeed, Bands in Town, over 74 million live music fans trust Bands in Town to get personalized concert alerts, recommendations, and messages from their favorite artists. It is the number one artist service platform connecting over 560,000 artists with their super fans. Managers, labels, agencies, and artists access their own dashboard to manage and promote their tour dates across all <laughs> I'm laughing because we <laughs> we always forget this stuff. Anyway, we want to thank the Music Business Association. I will be speaking at the Music Biz 2023 conference happening May 15th through the 18th in Nashville. Boy, that's coming up fast. Join me yeah. and many others as we discuss the most important topics for the modern music business. See the full agenda and register on the website. That's the Music Business Association. And I'll see you there. Yes, indeed. Big thanks to Music Business Association, Hypebot, and Bands in Town. And, of course, the incredibly handsome Jet that I get to do the show every week with is none other than Jay Gilbert. He is a music consultant. He's the curator, of course, of the fabulous weekly Your Morning Coffee newsletter and a former executive with these little companies, Universal, Sony, and Warner Music Groups. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, my brother from another mother sitting across from me virtually is Michael Etchart, longtime host of Sound and Vision Radio, formerly of SST Records, Warner Music, Capital EMI, and Universal Music Groups. And the proud owner of a very sketchy employment history. Very <laughs> sketchy. Very sketchy. All right, so Jay, let us go back to the second story. Well, this, this is, is a bunch, Mi- right? This is yeah, this if, is a bunch. If of you're them. looking at the same one I am, this is there were uh, probably eight major kind of stories about Spotify this week in your morning coffee, and we want to touch on parts of each of them 
um, because they're so important. Music business worldwide, uh, Billboard, Midia, um, just such great coverage um, on this. And I'm just going to tell you, well, here are a couple of the headlines, right? There was one was from uh, Music Business Worldwide. It was Spotify added 5 million subscribers, taking its total global paying subscribers to 210 million. That's crazy. Um, the next headline was Spotify is ready to raise prices as quarterly revenue ticks up 14%. That was from Billboard. Uh, another headline, Spotify needs to woo the boomers if it wants to keep growing in the U.S. That was so interesting, and we'll talk about that, Music Business Worldwide. And another one, by backpedaling its exclusive strategy, Spotify puts its content to the test. Great piece by Midia. And if that's not enough, of course, Spotify and artificial intelligence. We can't stop talking about no. that. This was from Music Business Worldwide. Spotify confirms it's working with labels to quell copyright threat from AI music. And then also from Billboard, uh, Spotify's Daniel Ek praises AI's potential to boost music creation and the company's bottom line. Yeah. So let's dive in. Um, let's let's talk about the earnings results first. Um, Spotify's Q1 2023 earnings results are in. The music streaming company added another 5 million net premium subscribers to its uh, user base in Q1 2023. Um, that's the three months uh, to end uh, to the end of March, taking its global paying subscriber base to 210 million. Those 210 million marked premium subscriber growth of 15% year over year and was 3 million above the company's guidance for the quarter. So Spotify says that its overall premium subscriber growth was driven by outperformance across all regions, led by Europe and Latin America. Spotify forecasts that it will end Q2, the three months to the end of June, with 217 million premium subscribers, mm. uh, which imply a uh, sort of 7 million net new subscriber additions in the quarter. Spotify's total number of monthly active users, which combines paying users and ad-supported users, grew by 22% year over year to 515 million 515 million and i think they're projecting to hit a billion by 2027 well yeah that's exactly what it's 2027 by the midpoint of 2027 they're predicting to hit a billion global users so that wow. monthly average user figure was up 26 million versus the prior quarter and 15 million above spotify's guidance their projections basically in terms of finances though spotify generated 3 billion euros uh, in in quarterly revenue in q1 and that was up 13 percent year over year but in terms of profitability they're still not profitable i mean spotify posted an operating loss of 156 million euros wow so let's talk about raising subscription mm. prices. CEO Daniel X said on Tuesday that the streaming service wants to raise the price of its monthly subscription plans, but said it depends on reaching agreements with major labels. I think we're ready to raise prices. I think we have the ability to do that, but it really comes down to those negotiations with major music stakeholders, X said in a conference call discussing Spotify's first quarter earnings. Yeah, and that was the first time Daniel Ek had said, you know, publicly that he has a desire to hike prices. Yeah. And, and by doing that, he's essentially trying to put major music companies in a position that forces them to take the next step. 
some of the music industry's top executives, including Robert Kinsel, the new CEO at Warner Music Group, they've criticized Spotify and other services, streaming services, for not raising prices, effectively contributing to undervaluing music. But it sounds like they're both kind of pointing at each other. Like, you know, yes. Daniel Eck is saying, well, you know, the majors need to do this and the majors are saying Spotify needs to do this. So I'm not sure, you know, there's three sides to every story, right? Yours, mine, and the truth. <laughs> That's right. But interestingly enough, Spotify, this is the kind of the headline in this story, was Spotify needs to woo the boomers if it wants to keep growing in the U.S. market. That was the headline for music business worldwide. And this comes from an Edison research report. Spotify is well positioned among younger U.S. listeners, according to this report. 56% of the 20, of the, I'm sorry, of the 12 to 34-year-old age group who have previously used any online audio brand say that Spotify is the audio brand they use most often. Wow. Not surprising. Certainly my kids say that. Yeah. Uh, but among the 35 to 54 crowd, that percentage drops to 26%. And in the 55 plus crowd, it stands at a lowly 17%. That's so interesting when they break it down by you know age. The percentage of 55 yeah. year old plus listeners uh, to digital audio in the US is actually growing, but just not very fast. Um, it's just, it's up, I think 1% year over year from 52 to 53%. It's interesting to note though, amongst over 55s in this Edison survey, the most popular streaming platform is not Spotify. It's YouTube music, you know, in terms of the online, you know, service they use most often, and that's 28%. So these older folks, they, some of them haven't adopted or adapted to or adopted streaming services. They're going to YouTube, which you and I talk about all the time, is the number one streaming service. That's the number one place people listen to music. It's not Spotify right now across the board. Right, exactly. Yes. Absolutely. Excites fans, but exposes an industry pain point, the sluggishness of the payment system that follows success. Oftentimes, TikTok virality catalyzes a surge on streaming platforms, but there's a significant lag between the time that Spotlight shines and when the artist inside it gets paid. That means a new artist could find themselves caught in a credit crunch, watching their streams explode today, but waiting on the check to arrive. Well, at some point, let's put some market down when that, I'm sorry, let's put some markers down when that some point will come. Let's say a song spikes on Spotify on, on Will's birthday, which is March 13th. Spotify will report usage to the labels in mid-April and pay the label in May. Typically, a label pays artists 90 days after the end of Q2 on September 30th. From winter to dinner, that's just over six months. And pity the poor songwriter who'll be waiting for that check to arrive early next year. For artists and songwriters, this lag has real consequences. Certainly does. Anthony Brown, who's the CEO over at Breaker, a marketplace that connects artists to influencers, spoke at South by Southwest just recently about how an artist he manages, Charlie on a Friday, went from hundreds of social media followers to millions within 18 months. But because of delays in getting paid, he was unable to capitalize on that sudden success and build on the momentum. He said, I've seen that inflection point from near obscurity to getting courted by the majors, and I've seen how the delays in payments have affected him personally. Yeah, the abruptness of a TikTok-fueled viral hit means artists experience a lag between achieving cultural significance and then getting paid for it. 
that's the nature of the music business today. To solve the problems this Delta causes, artists need options to build on that sudden momentum in real time, not six months. So if we scan the music industry landscape, there's a lot going on that gives us not only optimism, but confidence that the music industry is moving with the times by reducing the time to pay artists. So some artists are working on solving this issue themselves. Grammy-nominated producer and DJ Jennifer Lee, a.k.a. Toki Monsta, has first-hand experience of the delta between making it and getting paid for it. Previously, she overcame this by uh, ceding control of her copyrights to her label for an upfront advance rather than waiting on the check in the post, as they say over in the UK. But that has its own issues. At the time that I put that album out, it was the most I've ever gotten paid as an advance, she said. But an advance is essentially kind of like a loan. And you do have to recoup that. I will never own those songs. Today, Lee has co-founded her own label, Young Art, which offers real-time payments to artists via blockchain technology from Sona, which she co-founded with a team of Web3 technologists. Audius, another player in the Web3 music space, is offering similar payment speed, but as a blockchain-powered streaming service. Blockchain and crypto at times have, of course, been massively overblown by marketing purposes, but one of the most fantastically unique aspects is their transparency and speed. Utilizing a blend of players like Stripe and Coinbase, Audius is able to pay rights holders transparently in just 15 seconds. That's less than half the time of a TikTok reel, and that's something that is genuinely not possible anywhere else. Right. Other companies are working on offering a similar real-time payment model, but on the more traditional music rails uh, as well. Hi-Fi Cash Flow, for example, or Hi-Fi's Cash Flow, for example, pays artists their royalties in real-time based on beat-by-beat earnings data, allowing creators to access, access their money they've earned right as they earn it from their existing revenue streams without having to charge or change their business partnerships or sacrifice sacrifice rights and option optionality yeah another one of those good platforms um is Beatbread. Uh, you should google Beatbread. Mm-hmm. there's a there's a Absolutely. lot of platforms out there where they will basically give you some upfront money based on your your uh, history of streams so major labels to their credit are also working on solutions to speed up payments um, Sony Music launched an ambitious Artist Forward initiative in 2020, and that included an industry-leading cash-out now and real-time advances feature for artists who have chosen a more conventional major label route. To date, artists have withdrawn over $50 million using that feature. Yeah, so for career, for artists at all career stages, whether a Charlie on, Fri- on a Friday who recently broke out or a Toki Monster playing it forward for the next generation, the abstract and seminal algorithm needs to be fed in real time to build momentum and level up. Uh, players across the market have taken note and are ensuring that artists have the real-time resources that will allow them to answer the door when opportunity knocks or TikTok's music <laughs> or TikToks. Uh, that's from Music Business Worldwide. But, you know, I, and I, I, we've talked about this before on the show as well. And I do want to point out, you, you know, when you and I've managed a catalog, it's stunning how how many checks come back because people move and they don't tell when, you know, so so getting paid and, and when you're paying out artists is really challenging, is. and I'm stunned how often that happens. Well, it, and yeah. suddenly they artists just disappear off the off the face of the earth. It seems like, and 
And there, how, how do you get paid? How do you how do you pay artists that that have disappeared? And then I, I don't there's know. the problem of ones that haven't disappeared that haven't cashed the mm-hmm. check. So, for example, my accountant called me last week, and we have two clients, and for the last ninety days, they have not cashed. You know this, the check we sent them, and she goes, "You want me to cancel these and reissue?" And you know it's. People lose things. Uh, some things sit in a pile. You know, you may go out on the road and your mail is at one location and you're doing a three month tour. And, you know, and to, to your point earlier, you know, people move. People sadly pass yeah. away. Um, there's a lot of reasons, you know, that aren't nefarious that, you know, payments aren't being made or they're being put into the black box because they can't be paid out. It's a little bit more complicated. And when I was at Capital in in the catalog group, that was that was one of those kind of the shocking things that I learned is you know you're you want to do a reissue campaign or you want to do something and maybe that artist like you said is is deceased and it's unclear who is in charge of that catalog with what heirs are doing it and and then they may have moved and yeah. it's really complex the the entire payment system and as you said it's not necessarily nefarious and I will certainly point out that. You know, especially the major labels, they do, you know, I think there was a concern, has a concerted effort years ago to slow down the payment system. And I remember having a conversation with the late, great Al Schmidt, and he told me that, you know, he remembers in the day when, you know, you submit your invoice working on a record, you were paid in 30 days, then it was 60 days. And it was 90 days. And so there is that that kind of inertia slowdown that I'm, I'm sure is intentional. But but there's a lot of stuff that happens when, you, when, when again, like you said, people move, yeah. artists pass away, and, and ownership changes. And Ownership's complicated. It's really challenging. You and I have put mm-hmm. together box sets before in our career. And when you're looking at a body of work from an artist, there could be multiple... Uh, labels and publishers involved and there's also things that you have that maybe were part of a radio program like uh, Westwood One or King Biscuit Flower Hour and try to you know (laughs) try to license that stuff it is so crazy because it was made for a certain period but without going down the rabbit hole it's not as simple as it may appear Right, right. And as we've talked about a, a number of times, you know, when whenever the transition from whether it's formats to anything, a lot of stuff gets left behind. And so there's just a lot of things that don't end up making it yeah. to the next format, True. whatever that is. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. But anyway, it is the end of the show. Thanks for listening to episode 142, Jay. And I certainly appreciate it. And we would appreciate it if you just tell just one, one friend. Just one. Come on. So big thanks to Hypebot, Bands in Town of the Music Business Association. And my good friend, Jay Gilbert. So thanks for listening, everybody. Jay and I will be back next week on the Your Morning Coffee Podcast. You've been listening to Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news program for the new music business. Join Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchard next time for the digital music news you need to know.